Okay. Um, <clears throat> should we start so, with the, uh, Oh, yeah. No, what, what do you want to start with? I was going to suggest starting with the offensive line. Yeah, let's go for it. Most important position group. Um, you know, which is always... I feel like that's such a dumb guy football thing to say, where it's like, uh, it's like, oh, yeah, the most important position is actually the offensive line, which is like literally everyone thinks that, but like if you say that, you can be like a big, smart football guy in the room. <laughs> well, I have to... This is where I have to blow your cover. You, you played offensive line in high school. You're a little bit biased. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. I did play offensive line in high school. Um, sparingly is what I'll say. Yeah, but you know we can pretend like no one knows that. Like we can just say that yeah, you played yeah. for uh, you played for a powerhouse in, in Pennsylvania Catholic school football or whatever. Was it a Catholic school? Yeah. No, I played. I was in public school. Okay. And, yeah. No, that would have been very funny. Um, no, yeah, I, I played for a former powerhouse. I guess we'll not. I don't want to give people too many clues for who I you know for for finding my LinkedIn and uh, you know DMing my boss or whatever that I'm you know. Doing, uh, doing leftist tweets online, but yes, yeah, so a former powerhouse in Pennsylvania. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, let's start with the offensive line. Uh, you want to go left to right? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to get your take first, just because like this is your area of expertise. And my, I only have like one take here, basically. Go ahead. Oh yeah, sure. Um, you know they're replacing four starters, and I just am not that worried. Like when you really go, you know, I mean, the the thing where you like. Every offseason article, right, that's a preview, is, like, they've got to replace blah, blah, blah starters. And, like, and they just – and that's how, like, how writers just rank, you know, position groups is, like, oh, what's coming back versus what's returning. And they never actually look at the quality of the players that are coming back or, um, you know, or departing. Because and, – and this is especially true with offensive line because no one, like – not nobody, but, like, unless you are, you know – an offensive line coach like a lot of people don't know what to look for an offensive line like you can see when someone's getting beat you can see when someone's like not able to run the ball but besides that like it's it's hard to really know like hey what's a good reach block like what's um you know what's a uh what's a good well-executed double team or climbing to the second level um from a layman's perspective and i don't claim to be an expert i'm definitely not i'm not one of like the coach twitter guys that are like you know breaking down um film but I do have a PFF college account, and I can look it up. Um, so, uh, and, and I know, I would say I, 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 de- I relatively know what a good offensive line looks like. Um, so with all that said, you know, I, I just, you look, by, you look at it position by position, and I'm just, there's no, there's no position that I feel per- particularly worried about this season. Um, and I don't feel, uh, and, and, and Ed Warner is our offensive line coach, who is one of the best in the business. Um, there's, ju- I just, I, I can't bring myself to really worry about any of this. I think it will, you will see some early season, you know, blown blitz pickups. Um, absolutely. But like long term, am I worried about the offensive line this year? I am not. Um, so yeah, I, I guess what, what was your one take? That, I mean, I, you essentially did it, which is just that I get, like when you say in the abstract, replacing four offensive line starters, that is a just a major trope for college football analysis generally is is returning starters, but especially offensive line because we all know experience matters a lot there. Communication matters more there than any unit on either side of the ball, um, and I, so I get it. But I think the thing that, that people are ignoring with Michigan, um, the thing that, I'll start with what people are not ignoring, what I think is generally acknowledged, is that Ed Warner is probably the best offensive line coach in the country or close to it. 
I think that he's, you know, on par with the guys like at Wisconsin, Bama, any any place. I'd put him up with any of those guys. He's a he's a savant, and the dude, like, he's an eval savant. He's recruiting. I mean, his recruiting is very good, and he's, a, I mean, he's a development, like, just off the charts guy. So, I mean, there, there's that. And people also acknowledge that Michigan has a lot of talent here because Michigan has gotten good recruiting classes at offensive line. Like, everyone knows that. I think the thing that people don't seem to get that I don't hear is that, like, this is actually a pretty experienced group. Like, you have the Stardust at center, who's a senior, um, most likely to be the center. And I think that's interesting because he edged out Carpenter, who was kind of hyped back in the spring. Um, so there could be some shuffling around there. I mean, I, I assume center center's a position where, like, you kind of want to have a guy because he's running your whole offensive line. Um, but then you have Jalen Mayfield, who is the one returning starter. Known quantity. F- First-round NFL draft upside quantity. Like, just great. Nothing to say about that. Um you have guys like Stuber, who I think is he a senior? He's like he's been he's been around for a while. Um, yeah, I think he's a I, I, I think he's a senior this year. Yeah, like he's been around. He's played. Um, he was gonna yeah. step in, I think, at right tackle if if Mayfield left, and now he's gonna shuffle into guard. And like I've seen I've seen him play. He's good. They love him. Uh, he, got in, he got injured last year. That's one of the reasons he wasn't playing. Like he he might have uh, he would have seen the field a lot probably last year if he'd been healthy. Um, and I might actually, he was maybe going to beat out Mayfield for that job that Mayfield has, you know, claimed as an incredible player. So like, why would you be worried about that? I mean, that's just another rock solid guy. And then you go down to Vestardis and it's like, okay, I'm a little more worried about that just because there is going to be a drop off from Cesar Ruiz, who's a first round pick as a center, which is a rare thing. And like Cesar Ruiz was fucking great. And like, you're not going to be as good yeah. as him in, yeah. in like probably either mentally or physically. And you know that that is what it is. So it's going to be a little a, a serious regression there. But but I don't I don't think it's too catastrophic. Then at that other guard spot, I think likely Barnhart, who is like a monster recruit. If you watch his film, I mean he was playing at Paw Paw, Michigan, which is like some lake town. He was like he was just killing kids. <laughs> like, yeah, it's right. like it's like it's one of those like Jadavian Clowney highlight reels where you're just like that 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 poor kid. Like I don't think. Yeah. He- <laughs> And and yeah. and he's you know a potential he's a guy who could play tackle too because he's a great athlete so he's a phenomenal athlete in the guard role, um, either him or Phil Yaga who's also been around a million years who might transfer he doesn't play this year but like I would be fine with him in that role too and then you have Ryan Hayes who is younger I grant you this and less experienced but like clearly has NFL potential as a left tackle he's like a you know a six seven lanky athletic left tackle guy yeah who the coaches many like there's been some chatter that the coaches like him even more than Mayfield which is saying something I'll, I'm I'll, I've, I've been rambling too long the point is just like I don't see a lot to be worried about my biggest concern is just the Stardust or Carpenter whoever's holding on that center spot they're going to be worse than Ruiz and so the question is what yeah. you lose there you know yeah, so and I think that's that's it's well put. Um, I think if, if I'm going left to right, um, reasons to you know be optimistic here. Um, so Ryan Hayes, like you said, comes in a a kind of a, a Gumby like uh, offense. You know, I think he was a tight end in high school or something. You know, six seven, big athletic guy, the type of guy that like you know has started to kind of pick up in recruiting because people are realizing this is the type of guy that becomes an NFL left tackle. And I think. He, he basically was forced to start for um, John Runyon Jr. in the first two games of the year last year. And he was, you know, against – it's against Army and uh, Middle Tennessee State, but he was immediately an elite pass blocker um, at, against those two teams, you know, as a, as a second-year player when most offensive tackles aren't ready. And where he struggled, and it, this is predictable, was in the run game where he just wasn't quite ready physically yet. Um and quite frankly, I think if he had if he had continued to play, if if uh, if Runyon had continued to be um, 
continue to be injured the rest of the year. I think he would have developed into a plus offensive tackle uh, throughout the course of the year. Um, and I believe that, you know, he will be – I honestly – I'm gonna. this is my big hot take. This is – I've been – you know, I try not to be a homer. I think Connor's pro- probably more on the uh, on the homer side of the spectrum. Yes, I am. <laughs> um, absolutely. Um, but I think, I think that Ryan Hayes will be some form of all-conference this year. I just think he's got that level of potential. I think he's ready. Um, and the coaches have just – like, he, there was no reason to hype him up as a freshman – and he came in and was like, they're like, this is this dude's the truth. He's gonna be great, and that has just not stopped. And he's basically laid he's laid claim to the left tackle position, you know, since since basically the season the 2019 season ended. So I think he's gonna be really good. Um, he'll make some boneheaded mistakes early, but you know, uh, who doesn't? Um, you know, he's gonna be good. Um, I'll skip over left guard because that's kind of like the my final point. Will make more sense if I go to the other positions. Um, center, you've got Bastardis, who's a fifth-year senior, uh, former walk-on, who had to be, like Connor said, uh, had to beat out, um, you know, Zach Carpenter, who was kind of like, hype, again, one of those guys that came in and there as a freshman and was immediately hyped up because, you know, he just was ready. Um, I think he's going to be, I think he's the perfect kind of center you want for this team. You, you look around the Big Ten and around the country, and a lot of teams, you know, even in the NFL, have physically underwhelming centers who are all there mentally. Travis Kelsey, or not Travis Kelsey, uh, Jason Kelsey is the perfect example of this um, for the Eagles. I'm not saying Vistardis is going to be Jason Kelsey, who's one of the best, um, you know, centers in, uh, in, uh, in, in football, really. Um, yeah. But he's, he's mentally all the way there. Um, he's a little bit undersized. But that works at center because, you know, for the most part, the vast majority of teams, especially in modern college football, run four down lines, which means your center's uncovered the majority of the time. So you're not a guard where you have to drive this guy off of off the ball after you snap it. What you have to do is you have to assist on double teams, so you have to be strong enough, and you have to call out blitz, blitz protections, make sure everyone's on the same page. And then what you have to do is be able to execute reach blocks around defensive tackles so that you can run outside zone effectively. Um, and and I think Vistardis is perfectly capable of doing this. He's been kind of the fifth or sixth or the sixth or you know seventh man off the bench, um, or first or second man off the bench. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, for the past couple of years, um, and I just think he's like he's like the perfect you know quintessential like high academic guy. Um, is he an engineer you know, by any chance? <laughs> I I think he probably he's probably one of the guys that they're gonna hype up as you know uh, high like you you could be an, a student athlete at Michigan you know they love to do that shit um, so <laughs> they're definitely gonna do that this season with him um, I think he'll be perfectly fine um, you know and I think it, the, the biggest thing the biggest difference that you're gonna see between him and Caesar Ruiz is that Caesar Ruiz pulled he he first not just pulled off he pulled as a center and was tremendous blocking in space, which just opens up so many things. You know, he was the key to Michigan's fantastic pin and pull game last year um, because he was able to get around the outside from the center position, which is very rare. The starters is probably not going to be able to do that. Yeah, I mean, I, I just want to interrupt a little bit and just say, like, the Ruiz thing is, is you mentioned, like, Jason Kelsey being one of the best centers. I mean, probably in very short order, Cesar Ruiz will be one of the best centers in the NFL. And like, yeah, I agree. That is, that's tough to replace. I just think that's that's the most pessimistic thing for me. But keep going. Yeah, Sorry. And, and Michigan fans aren't going to notice that because it's hard to notice a center, like, unless you really have a trained eye. You're just going to realize, like, oh, damn, like, I guess it just looks like these pin and pull plays just look a little bit different, you know? 
because it's you're just not going to have that elite center that's pulling out into space or you know executing a a, a crazy reach block around you know a one or a three tech, um, which Caesar Ruiz consistently did. So you know Michigan fans aren't necessarily going to notice that kind of stuff, but it will show up. Um, you know, hopefully it's offset by other things in the run game that we will talk about. Uh, you move over to right guard. Andrew Stuber has locked that down since day one. He's an experienced player. He, he held his own at right tackle, um, and he's, he's huge. Um, he's a huge veteran guy that was in the running with Jalen Mayfield to be the fifth offensive lineman last year. Um, there's no reason to think he's not going to be a really, really good guard. Um, I'm not worried about him at all. Um, and then you got Jalen Mayfield, who you know, is, is being hyped up as a top 15 pick. Um, he, he dominated against Alabama last year. Um, the one thing I'm going to say about Jalen Mayfield is just, like, in the interest of not sounding like too much of a homer, he was up and down last year, right? Like, I think there's a lot of revisionist history that, like, he locked down Chase Young. He did not do that. That was mostly John Runyon, which is why John Runyon's making a lot of money in the NFL right now. Um... He played well. He played fine against Ohio State. He played in like he played at an elite level against Alabama, and that's what's leading to a lot of the hype. Yeah. Um, if you want to feel good about deserved. Michigan blocking in general, the number of times that Michigan guys, be they Mayfield or Ben Mason, who we'll get to, just like obliterated an Alabama player, should make you feel good about your football program. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So I just I just am not worried. And then going back to left guard, you then just have a battle royale for like a million different four stars um and whoever starts there it's like they're gonna be good they had to beat out they, they had to win a battle like a four-way battle between all legitimate players um carson barnhart zach zinter uh chuck filiaga um and uh i don't know who else who else did we say there i guess um zach carpenter all yeah. legitimate interior prospects who um you know were are gonna like are in their second or third years of being players, um, and all of whoever wins that battle is gonna be good. I'm just not worried about it. Um, I think the only thing you have to worry about on offensive line is just like the early season stuff. Like they're gonna miss blitz pickups. You know this is gonna happen. We know this. Um, I, I think that they're gonna be physically a match for anybody they play, and I think it's just it's it's gonna be another good offensive line. Um, yeah, I think. So, go ahead. No, go ahead. Sorry. I, I think the really the thing that is like amazing about this group um you mentioned like the battle like you know again it, like I, I, talking about lack of returning starters i mean andrew stuber could easily have been the, the starter on at right tackle who was getting hyped up for the nfl if, if he hadn't gotten hurt and like he's he's your quote-unquote new starter as a guard a guy who can play tackle you're probably gonna have barnhart a guy who could also play right tackle as your left guard <laughs> like like right. wow, okay, and then and then like you said, like the, the the crazy thing is for all that Michigan lost, the guys behind these guys, Zach Carpenter, Chuck Filiaga, uh, Zach Zinter, who's gotten tremendous amount of hype as a true freshman, uh, Nolan Rumler, his name we haven't even mentioned yet, um, and then guys like Trevor Keegan and Trent Jones, who are like potential tackles of the future, like you know what, a lot of those guys that are not going to play for Michigan. They would start at almost every team in the Big Ten right now. Like, yeah, that's I agree. that's the scary thing. Like, they wouldn't start for Wisconsin or Ohio State. A lot of them would probably start for Penn State, to be honest. And they would definitely start at a place like Minnesota or or Iowa. And it's like that's what yeah. Michigan has on their bench on their supposedly you know thin, inexperienced offensive line. Like this unit, either this unit or linebackers are kind of like the the gem the, of the program yeah. right now. Yeah. 
I totally agree, and I think a lot of people, you know, I, I hope that we've done enough to establish ourselves as, like, not, you know, huge, huge homers at this point. I, I will be a homer about offensive line. I just think, like, like Michigan has sort of built, like, the level of depth that a Wisconsin has, and that's, you know, I mean, I'm sure they're going to blow a blitz pickup, and, and people are going to, this is kind of going to come back to bite me, but, like, I just th- I just am not worried. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I think as, as, as much as, like, Michigan fans and especially, you know, fans of, of Michigan's rivals will roll their eyes at, you know, off-season hype, I buy that hype when it comes from Ed Warner. So, um, you know, I think that's our take on the offensive line. I think it'll be, um, I think it'll be one of the best in the Big Ten, quite frankly. And that's not necessarily saying that much because the the secret of college football is that nobody has a good offensive line. <laughs> so, you know, I think Michigan is one of those few programs right now that does have a good thing going at offensive line. Um, so then, I guess moving on to the second most important position group. I suppose, or, you know, second or most, uh, quarterback. Um, do we want to, you know, I mean, I think we've made our position pretty clear on Twitter on this. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I don't know, Thick. Uh, I, I kind of forgot. <laughs> I forgot who the starter is. Um, you have to remind me. Is, is it a guy who makes the ball go zoom? <laughs> <laughs> the ball do be going zoom. <laughs> it's going to, he's, dude. He's going to throw the ball so far. It's going to be crazy. <laughs> I, I think there's, like, with with Joe Milton this year, like, there's going to be – it's going to be a wild ride. I think that's guaranteed. There's going to be ups and downs. I think our chances of yep. seeing, like, on field a, like, leg, a ball go, like, legitimately 80 yards in the air is, like, that That could actually happen this year, <laughs> which, like, yeah. I mean, the kind of thing that you just, like, never see in college or pro football. Like, you could see, you could see things yeah. that – that you would not even have, have countenance to seeing, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's talk about the definite positives first, I think, you know? Um, so, you know, for, for those of us that are have, I guess, the only people listening to this podcast are going to be hardcore Michigan fans. You all, you all know what the situation is at this point. Um, but, you know, Dylan McCaffrey, uh, basically the, the backup for the past two years, looked pretty serviceable, um, uh, serviceable to good, in, um, in relief of Shea Patterson, um, transferred out of the program. You know, after kind of pre- – I think we all kind of thought all offseason, like, yeah, this guy is going to be the starter. Um, and I just – like, there's no reason he would have done that besides to the fact that Joe Milton clearly, clearly beat him out in, in you know, in the practices, in the practice sessions they had. Um, and that's been the chatter around the program. Um so I think that's a reason to believe. Um, I think he clearly beat out Dylan McCaffrey. I, I, I cannot imagine that Dylan transferred as, like, if he was at all contending for the starting job. Like, that just doesn't make sense. This year doesn't even count against eligibility. I mean, who knows? Something weird could have happened. Weird stuff happens all the time. But I just – I do buy that, that, that Milton won the job. Well, let's unpack that, though. Um, I mean, because, like – Yeah, go ahead. I know that everyone's talking about Joe Milton endlessly, and that's – I mean, it's it's warranted. Because, like, a, a tr- an amazing quarterback is what Michigan needs to get over the hump. Like, like that – you're not going to beat Ohio State, beat Bama with anything short of an excellent, you know, NFL high draft pick quarterback. That's just not going to happen anymore. So, like – when we talk about, like, him winning the job, um, I think two things are really important here. One is, like – don't buy hype in the abstract. Don't buy hype for a guy you haven't seen actually do it on the field. Totally. I'm with you. I'm with everybody on that 100%. But also, like, 
to even imply a little bit that he somehow didn't win the job and that Dylan McCaffrey, like, like to imply that Dylan McCaffrey could in somehow have walked away from being a potential starter at Michigan is like, it is insane. I'm sorry. That is, that is diluted. <laughs> it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry. Like, it just, and you can call it like, again, this is not me being a homer, like, who would start, who would turn down the job at the University of Michigan? Like, that's not, I'm not saying, like, oh, like, it's, it's so prestigious. Who could ever? But, like, why would you, tr- he's been here for three years. Like, just think about being an 18 or a 21-year-old kid or whatever Dylan McCaffrey is. That, you know, he, he came in as a top 70 recruiter or whatever. He's been here for three years. He stuck it out behind Shea Patterson. He, you know, like, let's say, like, like why would he leave? It just does not make any There's no other explanation besides Joe Milton won the job, um, you know, and, and I just, I think to, like you said, to imply otherwise is just kind of diluted. Um, so we know Joe Milton won the job. Um, that's not a lock that he's going to be, you know, a Heisman caliber, uh, a Cam Newton caliber player at all. Like I, that's not what we're saying. Um, uh, things we know about Joe Milton, he has an elite level NFL arm. I think that's, uh, that's number one. And you can see it, you know, even in, you can go back to his high school film, you can obviously see it. Um, But you can also go look at, like, his limited snaps he's gotten so far. It's not necessarily, like, you see a lot of guys that can step into throws and really deliver, right? Pretty much any college-level quarterback can step into a throw, load up, and and put it, you know, 50 to 60 yards. Joe Milton can do that, um, you know, just standing still. Like, he just has a tremendous pop out of his arm. You it, it, it looks similar to, you know, I mean, like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm comparing to a lot of Eagles because that's the main, you know, team that I watch other than Michigan, obviously. But, like, I see Carson Wentz make, you know, he's, Carson Wentz has been bad this year. But Carson Wentz makes crazy throws off of basically no platform just using his arm because he just has that elite level arm strength. I mean, you, I'm sure you'd say similar things about um, Josh, uh, Josh Allen, your your yeah. preferred big beautiful boy. I mean, I think like Josh Allen is a pretty strong comp for Milton in terms of a guy. That, so Josh Allen has been lights out as a passer this year and has only thrown one pick that was bullshit. Sorry, I won't rant about Josh Allen right now. But like, but <laughs> in the past, and it has been in the past and in college, it was a valid critique of Allen to say like he was erratic. He was throwing the ball to the defense way too much. Um, he was inaccurate. And it was a wild ride, but also, like, with, frankly, terrible footwork, he was just making the ball go zoom in a way that, like, just very few guys in the NFL have any prayer of doing. And I think Joe Milton is similar because they're they're both huge. Like, they're both, like, a true 6'5". Joe Milton's one of those guys where you look at him standing next to McCaffrey, who was listed at 6'5", and you're like, he might be 6'6", and they just don't want to say it because that's, like, too too tall for a quarterback. Like, (laughs) he is a monster, just like Josh Allen is. He's monstrous. He's fast and athletic. Like, he's, he's big enough to, like, lower his shoulder and, and, you know, knock over a lot of defenders, including maybe even some modern inside linebackers. Um, yep. And, like, and, and the arm talent is just outrageous, coupled with, like, yeah, uh, uh, his high school film. I mean, his high school film is comical because it's a guy who, like, does not know what to do with his feet, doesn't know what to do really yep. just in general. I mean, he just knows he's supposed to put the ball downfield and you know, by God, he does that. Like it's, it's really, it, it's, it's not the kind of film that you see for like 
power five, you know, FBS recruits now because like most of them are playing for like good high school teams. And IMG, G- yeah, yeah, and Joe Milton's playing for like frankly a terrible high school team and was not getting any yeah. coaching and like it shows. But like, yeah, I mean the, the Allen comparison or the comparison to like guys that have just like every physical tool you could ever dream of, and the question with them is, can they do it mentally? And can they figure out like their technique enough that they're not they're not floating balls they're not you know they're not dinking balls to the defense by staring guys down like that's that's where we're at with Joe Milton he's got all the potential in the world and you just hope he doesn't throw like four picks against Minnesota in his opening game <laughs> right yeah so I mean I think the the thing you're gonna look for is um, you know I mean the the big negative right so. In high school, he completed less than 50% of his passes. Now, how much of that was his, like you said, I think, like you can tell on on film when like, okay, Joe Milton's, and when we say like a terrible high school team, we mean a normal high school team, like a high school team that most of, you know, if you guys, if you listeners played football, like, you know, a team that I played on where it's like, these are just normal kids. Like there's no D1 prospects on my team. Like these are just normal kids playing football. And when you play football at like, when you don't have elite level, you know, football teams, football can look pretty ugly. And you can tell that's the, t- the type of team that Joe Milton played on. And I think that's part of the reason he had such a low completion percentage. But also part of the reason was, like you said, his accuracy was bad, his footwork was bad, like everything was bad about it. Now, you know, I mean, the, with the way he's he's gotten coaching for the past couple of years, I think one thing you can say about Michigan quarterbacks you know, it's been a mixed bag under Harbaugh. Um, I think Har- a lot of Harbaugh's shine is like a QB whisper has rightfully worn off, and I'm not going to even dispute that. But one thing you can say about them, whether it's Jake Rudock or it's um, or Shea Patterson, oh, God, I guess Shea Patterson, and uh, Wilton Spate, is that they, at least in under like normal circumstances, look like they know how to like get through a progression and throw the football so you know like i don't think he would be the starter right now if he hadn't progressed in a certain you know in that aspect yeah um I'll, you know we yeah go ahead i just want to say like the, the key the key point there is jim harbaugh hates interceptions in like a really old-fashioned yep. way and i think that if he thought that that, that joe milton was going to be an interception machine i think the chances of mccaffrey still be on campus would be a lot higher Absolutely. And, and, and even more than just hitting interceptions, I'll go more broadly. Jim Harbaugh is a conservative coach. Like, he, and I think he's loosened up a little bit because he's realized, like, okay, we can't just out defense Ohio State. You know, we, we talked about that in our last episode. But I think that, um, you know, part of him loosening up, well, uh, but I think he, he still is Jim Harbaugh at heart, right? And I think that he, he would not be. Like, there's a reason that Shea Patterson stayed in last year, you know, despite being terrible. It's like making a quarterback change is a tough thing to do as a coach. Very few coaches have the, quite frankly, you know, the balls of a Dabo or, you know, maybe even the capital built up as of a Dabo where you can just um, go from a guy like uh, Caleb Kelly or whoever it was, I forget, um, you know, and start a freshman Trevor Lawrence, right? And, and that's just like, even though Trevor Lawrence was clearly, clearly better, you know, when he came in, it just, it's tough to like go away from, from a guy, like, you know, from, from a proven veteran option. Um, even, you know, more so you can see that with a guy like Kirby Smart, 
Um, and, uh, you know, just the Justin Fields, uh, Jake Fromm situation. Like, yeah, just, I bet Justin Fields was immediately better than Jake Fromm when he stepped on campus. But it's hard to go away from a veteran option. And the reason I'm saying all this is because Jim Harbaugh went away from the safe option in Dylan McCaffrey and went with Joe Milton. And I think that says something. I went with him decisively, too. I mean, I, we, yeah, we, we heard some chatter that, like, Milton was QB1 by, like, the start of September, which was almost two months before the season was going to start. Um, and, like, it, it seemed like over the summer that Milton had opened up this lead kind of surprisingly, and it seemed hard to believe. And then that was just decisively the case when they got to campus. Um, and I think it's not just Harbaugh. It's like, yeah, has Harbaugh shine as a QB whisper dimmed? Yes. Is, is a lot of that due to injury luck? And then Shea Patterson, like, being this five-star guy who, like, turned out to not be good. Yeah. And, I mean, and how much of that is Harbaugh's fault? That's a whole other episode. But, like, the point is, like, the, the shine is dimmed. His, his track record with QBs across his career, starting at San Diego, you know, going to Stanford, going to the NFL, his record with QBs is still very, very good. And so what Jim Harbaugh thinks makes a difference, what Josh Gaddis make, thinks makes a difference. And I think Gaddis is all in on Milton. I kind of think Gaddis didn't, yeah. like – didn't like Shay. I don't have any evidence to back that up other than just like the general tenor of that whole relationship and the tone of that offense. I mean, how could you like Shay? Right. Well, last year. Right. And I, I mean. you know, Shay, I mean, one reason that I like Gaddis and I'm a believer in him as an offensive coordinator is that Shay would not or could not do things that were like key to what Gaddis wanted to do on offense. They had no screen game. Most crucially, he would not pull on RPOs. So, like, with that, you've taken away a huge part of Gattis's playbook. And Gattis still got that offense to be pretty good by the end of the year. Uh, good, at least, insofar as it could be without Shea making throws. Um, but, all right, my, my point here is that, like, those two guys together, uh, Jim Harbaugh and Josh Gattis, those guys have both worked with, like, superstar, high first-round pick quarterbacks, like Tua, Taga, uh, like Tua from Alabama, Andrew Luck, um, and a bunch of other guys that have played in the NFL. Like, if they both agree that you're the dude and you're the dude in a decisive way, or they don't even want to say we're going to share snaps or whatever. That says a lot to me. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think we're both kind of in alignment that like, we think that Joe Milton at the very, very least has a high ceiling. Um, I'm not going to make any hard predictions on him. Cause I do think he's just going to be like, like it, it'll be, it'll be off and on to start. I, I, th- I do think like you're going to see him just, make some boneheaded mistakes. Um, you're going to see him do some things that, you know, make you say, damn. Um, and and hopefully by the end of the season, he just starts rounding into a guy that looks like a future, you know, first or second round pick. Um, and I think another underspoken part of this is that he is going to be much, much better in the zone, in like the running game portion of the offense And that is, like, I'm not even saying he's going to be, like, great or that he's even going to be good. But what he's not going to be is a guy that is terrified to pull the ball on his own read, which is what you just alluded to with Shea. Um, I think that's going to help. I think that Michigan's offensive line is going to be worse than last year just because Michigan's offensive line was amazing last year. But the running game is going to be a lot better because you just have a guy that's, like, willing to take what the defense is giving him. And and we did not have that last year. So that's another under underspoken part. I think Milton, like, there's a pretty good chance he could wreak havoc on defenses in the run game just because, like, he is not Denard Robinson where he's just going to blaze through your defense. But also, like you better have defenders watching him because like, if you don't take a, yeah. if you're a linebacker or a safety and you don't take a good angle and you're not like right on top of Joe Milton, he's, he's probably going to knock you over and get like four more yards at least. So like you, yeah. I think just having that, like 
like if those those viral clips we've all seen where like Michigan's offensive line would do the most perfect blocking you've ever seen it and like Shea Patterson is like <laughs> running the other way because he's like right. terrified to take a hit. Like if if you just take that uh, even with the worst offensive line and just say like here's this guy that is athletic and unafraid and huge, it's gonna scramble defenses in a major way because Shea was like a a a zero a negative threat to do anything and then Milton's genuinely scary. Yeah, and we've talked about the quarterback a lot, but I think it's warranted just because it's the most important position on the you know on the field. Um, and I think the quintessential thing you're going to see Joe Milton do is he, here's one thing that Shea Patterson never did, and even like even if we're talking about just like you know we already talked about the zone read game, whatever. Like he was he had trouble pulling. Something Shea Patterson never did was step up through the middle of the pocket when he was getting pass rush on the edge and run for like 15 yards through, you know, a defense that's playing man coverage and has turned their backs to the quarterback. And that is, that was debilitating at times. He, whenever he bailed from the pocket, he would always bail around the tackle. And it was frustrating to watch because a lot of times, you know, like there's, there's room to be had, like a lot of, you know, college quarterbacks, you know, um, JT Barrett's the quintessential example for Ohio State a couple of years ago where it's like JT Barrett was not an elite thrower and he wasn't an elite runner but what he did was he just took the def- what the defense gave him and if you were going to vacate the middle of the field he was going to run through like step up through his guards and he was going to run for 15 yards and it was infuriating I know Michigan fans remember watching him you know run for a million yards like through the middle of our defense um, and I think I think Joe Milton will do that so uh, you know I think that He's he's a plus athlete. I think he's you know I, th- I think he'll start to figure it out by the end of the year. And like if he if he starts to figure it out, you know if he really starts to put things together, like this is there's no one that's going to stop him. Like this is he he really does have that level of ceiling. So yeah, um, and I would add before we move on, which maybe this is a good segue to talk about skill players. But like given that Michigan does have like an imperfect roster and given that this is not the year where it's like, Oh, we're going to match up perfectly with Ohio state and stuff like your, your best chance to beat Ohio state, which is always going to require a lot of luck. This year was always going to be like a dude like Roman Wilson or Giles Jackson, just bolting down the field and Joe Milton, you know, hurling it up there. And like, yeah, if it works, like maybe we're in business. Like, you know, if, if not, well, we're going to lose to Ohio State again. What else is new? But it's like, that is, <laughs> yeah. that's what's on the table. And I think that, that what I feel best about Joe Milton is just knowing that, like, he probably gives you a chance in that way, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, right, like, let's, like, we've both been saying, right, our, our main takeaway this offseason from last year is just, like, we've been trying to, this, this team and this program have been trying to, like, be the perfect defense and just play, like, low risk, you know, trestle ball for too long like let's just let's throw it around the yard and see what happens like i mean it can't be any worse against especially against ohio State. <laughs> right totally um so uh so yeah no good segue to the receivers um i think you are you probably are the most enthusiastic about the receiving core that we have um so i'll, I'll let you start off and just give your thoughts here yeah, I, I think a couple of key things Michigan people need to take into account here is like the flexibility of all these different pass catching skill positions is going to be really interesting because like Gaddis is is going to want to start to get more guys out of the backfield receiving whether it's going to be like Chris Evans or Blake Corum or even Hassan Haskins. Um, you're going to see like some some crazy. You're going to see wild stuff from guys that can line up all over like AJ Henning and Giles Jackson. 
and you're going to see some t- I think you're going to see some tight ends getting into roles that we've seen from receivers. So, I'm framing my whole skill position discussion here just by saying that like roles are going to blur in unusual ways. And so when I say that like Michigan is short on outside receivers, that is true. They really only have aside from from true freshman Roman Wilson, who I think will get a lot of burn immediately. Um, they only have two traditional like Big Ten, you know, Jason Avant, Braylon Edwards, um, outside guys. That being Ronnie Bell, who we all know and I think could have a really phenomenal season and and is very good by the way, despite his habit of dropping the ball at the absolute worst moment. Um, or 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 Shea Patterson like throwing at his shoelaces and then PFF credits him with a drop, which is stupid. But like, <laughs> right. um, and then they have Cornelius Johnson, who's a you know uh, a sophomore, a true sophomore, like. Just a classic thick-bodied. You assume his floor is roughly Amara, Amara Darbo, and and maybe better than that. And like, I assume he'll be pretty rock solid in the hands department and like out muscling defensive backs and stuff. So you have those guys, but like, we're talking receivers generally. I think, for instance, you're gonna see like Mike Sainrestle on the outside. Like he's tiny. Um, he's like maybe five nine, if that. But like this whole outside inside distinction, this idea that short guys can only play in the slot. Number one, Michigan doesn't have enough dudes to make that distinction. And number two, like, I don't think Josh Gaddis cares. Like, if, you, if, you, if Josh Gaddis thinks you can beat your guy and run the route he wants you to run and that Joe Milton can make the ball go vroom to you, I don't think Josh Gaddis is sitting there being like, well, <laughs> if only he were three inches taller. Like, no. Like, uh, right. this is, I think Gaddis is a guy who's willing to have that kind of, that, you know, a higher risk, more, more electric, more backyard mentality. He does have kind of the perfect personnel for it. They have a million guys who are short and fast. Um, Sane Ristol, Jackson, Henning. I think Jackson will be lining up all over the place and has a chance to be a real breakout, like, all Big Ten type superstar. As a guy who was, like, tearing apart defenses and special teams as a 17-year-old last year um, and is one of the fastest guys in the country. So, like, that's my macro take. Rather than be, Rather than going through and being like, well, I think that Cornelius Johnson will have this many yards, it's more like... You're going to see stuff shuffled up a lot. You're going to see a lot of interesting formations. And you're going to see Gaddis trying to get his imperfect but also very exciting and high upside uh, receiving personnel. Like, he's going to try to get them the ball in space. It's going to be – I think there's going to be a very interesting demonstration of the of the speed and space principle being put to the test here. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, and I think I, – I tweeted about this a while ago, but um... – I think that one of the kind of like more frustrating things happening in like the college football like landscape right now is that there's sort of this just distinction that like oh yeah if like if you're under a six foot like you will play on the on, in the slot if you're over six foot you're gonna play on the outside and I totally agree with you that I think what makes you a good downfield receiver is whether or not you can play the ball in the air whether or not you can like tr- and and track the ball right like and be athletic enough to like to to adjust on a back shoulder fade and like. These are things that it's like it's it's very subtle whether or not you can do it. Um, you know, Michigan has had tall guys in the past. Um, you know, like uh, uh, like Kakoa Crawford, I guess. You know, if, if you're a real like 2017 head, um, that like just did not know how to play the ball in the air. And he's tall. He was like six three or whatever, but like was not an outside receiver. wasn't I mean, wasn't a receiver. Period. He was bad. But like he wasn't he, he playing the ball in the air is a skill that like. You, it's not just about like how tall you are, and I think um, you know Mike Sainer still showed some of that last year. He made a couple nice catches on like fades and like uh, uh, you know stop routes on the outside. Um, I think if we're just like moving like outside inside, Cornelius Cornelius Johnson's gonna have to play because you do need that type of guy that like can be a jump ball threat. 
um, that you know has height. I think he showed some good things last year. Like the, the coaches clearly like him. Um, he got on the field when he didn't really have to. Uh, he's a high he's a high recruit. Like I think he's going to be good. Um, you know I think Ron, Ronnie Bell will be interesting because he is truly making the the switch from slot to outside. He played in this. We, Michigan had the luxury last year of playing him in the slot because they had DPJ and Nico. Um, so we'll see how you know. I think he made a lot of plays that, you know, he that he like, sort of got open in the middle of the field and like found a, a, a soft spot. So we'll see how he is as like a you know more of a true outside receiver because like you said he's gonna have to play outside like he's 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 the he's one of the only like you know, le- like proven outside you know proven legitimately like tall receivers on the team. Um, I guess you know I'm sort of conflicting myself. You know, no, but you're totally right. Like he, he and Johnson are gonna have to play a ton, and they they're gonna have to play, and they'll be doing traditional receiver stuff. Like, yes, totally. Yeah. So we'll we'll see how he makes the. You know, my my general take on Ronnie Bell is I think he's he's very athletic. You know, I think he's he's a bat he's a basketball player, and it shows on film. He makes he he can jump. You know, out of the gym. Um, I think he's I think he's gonna be really good. I think. PFF's, um, you know, contention that he may, he drops a lot of balls. I just, I mean, like, I, you know, I, I've watched these games exhaustively. I, I really do. And, like, so does, and so does, you know, specifically MGO Blog. And they didn't share that opinion. And I just don't, like, I, I just don't think that's a thing. I don't know how PFF graded it. Um, I know, you know, I just think that maybe they, you know, PFF's a really good resource because they grade literally every college football play, which, you know, even you can say what you want about how effective they are, but, like, no one else is doing that, so you know someone's gotta. Um, but I think potentially, you know, they they miss they misjudged him there. Um, well, I think that like the key so, thing the key thing there is like the reason he was quote unquote dropping the ball is he's he was an excellent route runner, who was a who was brilliant at at trying to help Shea out when Shea did the wrong thing and the play was broken, and so Bell's yeah. the guy who is like tracking his quarterback and you know changing up his route and getting himself open. And then the Shea throws him a terrible ball, and Bell makes a heroic effort. It goes off his fingertips, and it's like, well, whose fault is that? Like yeah. that's, you know, he could have just not been there, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, and I think that's another thing. A good, a good point there. I, I, I totally agree with you there. Like I think, I think Shea Patterson is, you know, we're all. I, I mean, seems like a nice guy. Whatever. We're, we're. I think we, we hang a lot of the blame on like the early struggles of the offense on Shea Patterson last year. Both, both of us do. Um, and I think that. You know, Ronnie Bell does have, you know, to your point, I think he's got great football instincts. He's great after the catch in terms of just, like, he just knows how to set guys up and, like, make the, like, cut back against the grain at the right time. Um, And he also is really good at, like, scramble drills. Like, he just knows where to go when when the play is breaking down to find a soft spot in coverage. Um, And I think that, you know, I think that's an underrated trait as a wide receiver that you can't, again, you can't really, like, put on paper. Um, so yeah, I think he'll be good. Um, I think Cornelius Johnson is probably the closest to like your true, like jump ball type receiver. Um, we'll see how they use, uh, Eric all there. Who's like, we'll talk about more in tight ends, but he might have to play outside a little bit. Um, and then, you know, as far, as far as the slots go, um, you've got, you've got kind of a, it's going to be, um, Giles Jackson, who, you know, like we said, was electric last year. Um, he feels like more of like the, the 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 spread H type. He hasn't shown a ton in terms of downfield receiving, 
Um, but he's electric with the ball in his hand, so I think they'll... He's going to get the sweeps. He's going to get some carries. He's going to get some bubble screens. And then, like... The, the the big question is like what does he look like as a downfield receiver? So yeah. we'll see. I mean, I think I and think that I he's think a Gaddis guy. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No. Go ahead. I just want to say like I think Gaddis loves Giles Jackson and Sanders still, and that's one yeah. reason that I think like you'll see them going down the field a fair amount. I think in Gaddis's mind, like they're maybe not physically perfect for the downfield role, but like given the thinness of the roster and that he believes in them. Like I, I think Gaddis is very much like a holistic receiver guy, where it's like to be a receiver, you got to be fast, you got to run routes, you got to catch the ball. And I think to him, it's like, yeah, these are my guys. We'll we'll send them out there. So, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I think I think that they'll, you know, like he he has made that point before that like you can't just be a one kind of guy. So I totally agree. Um, I think we'll see a lot of both of them. And then Roman Wilson, who we talked about briefly, is the freshman who is, you know, fast was the fastest recruit in America last year. Um, out of Hawaii, kind of like weirdly wasn't a high four star like. But, like, you know, and when that kind of thing happens, you sort of look for, like, okay, is this guy just a great athlete? Like, is he dropping a lot of balls? Does he not really know how to be a receiver? And in his scouting, there really just wasn't that much of that. It was just sort of like, I don't know, like, he's a he's a high three-star, low four-star. Like, no one really had an explanation for why he wasn't a, a, a higher recruit. And then he came on campus and immediately started impressing. So, you know, I think we'll see... Um, he's not going to be great because re- freshman receivers usually just aren't great. But, like, they're going to tell him to run in a straight line and to, you know, run posts and, like, easy routes like that. And I think, like, he's going to blow the top off of, at, like, some low-level defenses and maybe even some high-level Yeah, defenses. I mean, I think the thing with Roman Wilson is, like, in the version of Michigan season where they have this, like, miraculous season and go undefeated or whatever, that version, I think, given the personnel, almost inherently requires Roman Wilson to just be streaking down the field a lot and for the defense to have to get on him because they know Milton can get the ball there. And it's it's the least complicated thing in the passing game. It's just like, this guy is so goddamn fast, and their quarterback can throw it down the field, and like it, he's not going to do anything other than just like get to roughly the right spot, and we have to do something about it. And I think I think you will see that a lot, just because, like, just because if Michigan still had Nico and DPJ, the receiving thing becomes more nuanced. But like really it is just like, we've got to use the guys we have, and we've got to get them downfield. Yep, totally agree. Um, and then we didn't even really talk about AJ Henning, who I think you know was is probably the top recruit in last in the twenty twenty class. Um, you know, I think he's gotten rave reviews so far. I think he'll see the field, but it becomes like, okay, you know, I he's like, where does he does he play outside? Uh, like, it doesn't seem like he's that. I'm not, again, we've talked about this, but like, I don't. I think he could play outside, but like, does it seem like he's gonna beat out like? You know any 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 of those three options? Like no, and then you and then he's got to compete with Sainer still and and Jackson for snaps beyond that. So it's like, I think he's I think he's really good, and I think the coaching staff really likes him. But it's like, who does he take snaps from? You know. Well, I think one thing that was said about him as a recruit that I didn't fully get till I read like you know Brian's recruiting post about him. He he's got a lot of like running back esque ability. I think he carried the ball a fair amount in in, in college, and so like I think he might be. Um, you know, kind of that guy who who lines like kind of like like what Giles was doing last year. I think Giles will probably be a little bit more of a receiver, and Henning might be a guy who's coming out of the backfield in some some weird stuff. But I also don't expect to see him a ton, just because like you've got running backs who are good in that role, you've got other receivers who are good at the same things. 
he might be a guy that has to wait a year to really make an impact. But he'll be out there because it's a free year of eligibility and he's really, really fast. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Yeah, so that is a good point. He might be the closest to like a true like spread H that we have on the team. Um, so then moving, I guess, you know, kind of tangential to receivers, let's talk about tight ends. Um, you know, I think Michigan's got a really solid one in Nick Eubanks, um, who was uh, only okay as a blocker last year. Um, you know, which is kind of like par for the course. Like most tight ends in college football now are just not great blockers. It's like very rare that you find a guy like a like a um, a Kittle or a uh, or a Gronk really that like is a dominant blocker as well as being like a, a good receiver. Um, he's he wasn't he didn't have that great of a year from a receiving perspective. He caught a lot of balls, but he just like he wasn't that much of an impact player. Um, I would say. Uh, I think I think he's got potential. Like I think that he's going to be the guy this year. So you know, and he's going to have a hopefully better quarterback play. Um, but he's gonna he, he's I think he's gonna he, you're gonna see him as the guy that's like executing the uh, the arc blocks. That he's like he's gonna be you know he's gonna be on the field as like an H back type role. Um, he's gonna be like he he's gonna be catching passes in the flat. Um, and then, you know, how much of a downfield threat is he going to be? We haven't totally seen Gaddis do that with tight ends yet. Um, I don't know. What's, what's your thought on it? On Eubanks, I mean, I just look at him as one of these rock-solid, you know, kind of undrafted free agent tight ends that Michigan's had, like McCune. Yeah, um, yep. Where, like, I, I expect him to be, yeah, reliable when the ball comes his way. I don't think he's going to drop it much, and I think he will be mauling people on blocks. And that's all great. I think that the really what what that analysis kind of illuminates is that the guy who has a chance to be a real breakout and kind of be the guy who is scoring touchdowns, who is like, you know, who is a problem out there, as the kids say. I I think it's Eric All. <laughs> Low key bucket. Yeah, like I think yeah. I think Eric All might be built different because he's just like <laughs> he probably from what we've heard, and this is mostly hype. I grant you, but like you look at his film, you look at the limited uh, play that he's had, and it's like he has the speed to really give a lot of defensive backfields that Michigan's going to face, most of them except Ohio State, I mean, maybe all of them except Ohio State, to give those defensive backs fits in, like, pure speed receiver terms. And also, like, he's a large man, and, you know, he could be the guy who's kind of the Nico Collins where, like, the way to stop him is just to drape yourself over him and get a flag. You know, like, um, I could see that happening a lot with him, and I could also see him making some pretty big-time downfield catches. I think, like, Eubanks is more of your safety blanket tight end, which Michigan has loved to have. And I think Eric all is a potential yeah. breakout big play tight end, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, I, I really do think Nick Eubanks like is a, is, is going to be that safety blanket. Um, and I think, you know, that's, and I think he'll hopefully be a good enough blocker. Um, I think, yeah, Eric all is just, he came in last year, you know, he's a big time recruit and he got hype for like, and this is one of those situations, like, you know, I think MGO blog likes to say this, you know, so we're kind of aping them a little bit here, but like, he got hype for like that wasn't necessary. Like no one needed to hear that Eric All was doing that was like killing it at practice. And he came in and he was like immediately a very, you know, he, he struggled against like like defensive ends that just outweighed him by a ton. But he was a really impactful blocker and like a willing blocker. And I think that you know if he beefed up over the over the off season, you know, I think he could he could potentially be like a tight end that Michigan really hasn't. Had, um, you know, I think, 
Well, I guess Gentry, you know. But well, like, Butt is the I last great tight he, end they had, yeah. Well, no, I know, but I don't think he's like Butt. Like, I wouldn't comp him to Butt. I think Butt was, like, a very, like, he was an inline tight end that just had great hands and, like, wasn't even necessarily that. Like, Eric All, I think, is much taller than, than Jake Butt. Um, and I think, like, is, is more on the receiver, like, you know, end of the spectrum. Um, so I think, yeah, I think Eric All has, has great potential. The, the, the staff loves him, um, and I think, like, you know, like you said, he can, he can, he, he is a mismatch problem. He is a matchup problem. Um, and then, you know, the last guy, uh, is, is Luke Shoemaker, who I think is going to be like a third or fourth year player and has looked like, you know, he's super tall, um, and has looked like pretty athletic when he's out there. I just like, he's another, it's like, how many snaps is he going to get? You know, it seems like Eric Hall's kind of blown by him. Yeah. I think he's definitely playable and it's a luxury to have like three playable tight ends on a roster. Um, but it's just like how you know how how much is he gonna get on the field? Yeah, I mean he'll probably be more of a guy next year when they might have like yeah. really they could have a really amazing tight end room next year. You have Hibner, who was a big time recruit, hits, and then you have All still and Schoonmacher. I agree that he probably won't be on the field a ton. I will say he's looked really good when he's been out there, and he's another case of a guy. Yeah, I agree. Like what Michigan? One of the things Michigan has done incredibly well, and one reason that we're hype for. Marlon Klein from Rabin Gap Nakuchi School in Georgia is like <laughs> Michigan has gone out, watched all this film, and identified these high upside athletes uh, at, at tight end who are underrated and developed them into very good tight ends. And I feel like Schoonmacher is another, another dude like that, where like if he had to be Michigan's number one tight end, which he absolutely doesn't have to be this year, I think he'd be probably fine. Like he's looked he's looked good uh, on film. So yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I like I see him out there. I think like I think he's just a very natural like athlete. Um, I think Michigan's got like a lot of, you know, they might they don't have a, um, uh, you know, a, a surefire NFL draft pick. I think Eric All will get, will be like you know that guy maybe next year. Um, but I think that like they just have they have enough guys that they have just positional flexibility. Like they could go to a three tight end set if they wanted to. You know, I don't think they will. I don't think that that's like something that you know. There's too much. There's too much speed and talent at receiver and talent at running back to do that. But, like, they could if they wanted to. Like, I think Michigan, more than anything, has a ton of positional flexibility, uh, you know, personnel flexibility. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I don't know. We probably would have heard Chatter out of practice if all was, like, working out with receivers. And so, like, you probably won't see him lining up as just, like, an outside wide receiver. But, like, he could do that, like, just physically, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think, like, that's one of the X factors. That, like... Again, the like fairy tale version of Michigan season is one where like Eric All is like getting down the field and you know you have like a safety like just draping himself over him for a flag like constantly, kind of like Nico Collins esque, while Roman Wilson is just right. streaking on the other side of the field. That's like that's the stuff that we want to see because it means that Michigan is getting the most out of their untested but high upside you know skill group. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so then you know moving on, I guess to. Uh, the I feel like we're, we are way too rosy about this offense, and I think we'll talk about it in kind of like the roundup, you know, at the end. Um, but moving on to probably what might be, you know, it's definitely the least important position group on the field just because, like, running back is, like, you know, I, I just don't think it is, is lower value than other positions. Um, but might be Michigan's, like, deepest uh, position group is running back. Yeah, I think this could be the best Michigan running back room. Damn. I mean, they have a, they have a good chance to be the best Michigan running back room since Lloyd, actually, um, and I, I don't yeah. think that's actually I don't think, which yeah. which we should 
we should say is not that high of a bar. No, I mean this is this is part of my rant here, and and I think it's great that you brought up we're being way too rosy, and I think that's good fodder at the end to talk about why I'm rosy and what it actually means to be rosy. One of the things it means to be rosy is just there's at least a couple guys in that running back room who have a good chance to like play a lot of snaps in the NFL. Michigan, someone correct me on this if I'm wrong. I don't think Michigan's had a guy be RB1 out of an NFL training camp since Chris Perry in the early 2000s. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't, and that is that is wild. I mean, the number of guys that Ohio State's had being RB1 in that span, probably like at least half a dozen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you're totally right that it's not as important a position as other things these days, but like a good running back is still very valuable in college football. I mean, we've seen Michigan get, get run over. I mean, the, the, one of the reasons that Michigan, when Michigan got beat down last year, the teams that really outmatched Michigan had Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins, Najee Harris, elite running backs who were just having their way with that defensive line. Um, and I think the good news for Michigan fans is we have some guys who have a chance to look more like that. Like, it, you know, healthy Zach Charbonnet is going to be their number one back. You've got Hassan Haskins, who's tough to bring down and will, will be used, I think, kind of situationally, but is like a guy that I we all love. He's a dog, you know. Uh, Chris Evans is a weird X factor. There's a ton of guys like Chris Evans who are kind of, you know, in that can move around the field, can, you know, run the wheel route, can catch balls out of the backfield. Like a bunch of guys in this team can do that. But he's, you know, he's a very slippery guy with experience. Um, if he pops, that would be amazing. And then we've got Blake Corum who's, like, an incredibly high upside guy who's also apparently, like, already a good pass blocker and has, like, basically played an FBS schedule in high school. Um, Like, just can't say enough good things about him. And the crazy thing is I love Blake Corum. They don't even really need him. But, like, I'm glad he's there, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I I just think, like, this is – yeah, it's tough to, like, be this optimistic about, you know, this running back room, I guess. But, like – I just, I just don't. I they've got everything. I think you can want. Um, I think you know Zach Charbonnet. You know we should say Zach Charbonnet. I think came in and like everyone was like this. He he shot up the recruiting board. Like that he was Michigan's number one in the position. Like everyone thought he was just going to be incredible. And you know I think running backs a position where like there are a lot of impact true freshmen. Um, and he wasn't quite that guy right away. He was our starting running back you know, for the Army game, but, like, he just wasn't, um, you didn't quite see the explosiveness, and you, and basically you immediately heard, like, he was injured at the beginning of last year and was kind of playing, like, 50-50, and even with that, like, he was a a good, a legitimately, like, you know, better than average Big Ten running back as a freshman and injured, and even more than that, like, he was a tremendous, tremendous pass block. I mean, against elite competition, too. Like, I think he, he handed it to um, a couple of uh, Alabama linebackers that were coming on blitzes. He's, he's a great pass protector. Um, he's, a, he's a tough runner. He's got good balance. And I think, like, uh, you know, seeing him totally healthy this year, like, he sh- I think he could be a revelation. Um, you know, I won't say that he will be because, like, you know, I, I, everyone, including me, was a little bit underwhelmed last year. But I think he definitely could, you know, easily could have a breakout season um Hassan Haskins I think is like your floor guy who and it's not like a, a shot at him I just think he's like he's he doesn't do anything at an elite level he's just tough to bring down yeah you know? and he falls forward he's a really very tough well runner. which Harbaugh loves he falls forward <laughs> yeah he's just the type of guy that like I think he he might get squeezed a little bit honestly this year and and that's and that's tough for him 
Um, but no, I, yeah, Harbaugh loves guys like that, and I, I don't see any reason that, like, you know, if he had, he's another guy, you know, it's like where, like, if he had to be a running back one, you'd be like, oh, nice, yeah, Hassan Haskins. Um, Chris Evans, I was always low on, honestly, in, in 2017 and uh, 16, 17, 18. Um, or no, yeah, 16, 17, 18 when he played. Um, and then, you know, he obviously last year had the academic misconduct. Um, but I just was kind of always low on him because I'm like, this guy doesn't make sense as a, as a running back. He's too tall and lanky. Um, he's, he, and he's just not like – and they didn't use him as a receiver at all because that just wasn't part of the offense. Um, but I went back and recently, like, watched, you know, a lot of his film, and he is just really slippery. He just makes really subtle moves and, you know, is like – sets people up, you know, to, to miss really well. And I think if, if they can get him in space, he will be, you know, an asset. Um, and then, you know, like we both said, like, I'm super high on Blake Corum. I think that he's a Clyde Edwards-Alaire type that just – it can be a great interior runner as a small guy because he's got good balance. Um, he's, he's like, kind of like a workout dog. Like, he's constantly posting workouts on, on Instagram – um, and, you know, like, is is clearly in great shape, you know, has good long speed. Um, you know, I, I think he could be – like, if he was our running back one, I'd, I'd feel okay. Yeah, he could so, come in and be yeah, that guy, think, but, like, he's not going to have to be. That's the crazy part. No, absolutely. Um, so they've got a lot that they can do with this group. I think they'll go with some two running back sets. Um, it all just depends on, you know, like, how, how they want to use him. Um, so – you know, do I now? Now, all that said, do I think there is a a freak like number one overall or number like like first round running back in this group? I'm gonna say no, just because I don't think any of them are like I don't think any of them are like Najee Harris, Zeke Elliott like types. You know, I just that where it's just like oh, this is like a future like fantasy RB one. You know, like top ten fantasy pick type running back. But I do think like there's a lot of guys in this room that are gonna yeah. play in the NFL. And I will say, I if anybody in the group was that, it would probably be Corum, um, just because he is like a you know a legit like four four guy who does everything right. Yeah, like, it's just he's got and he's a, is elusive, slippery, you know, um, one of those low low runner guys. Like and like Charbonnet, I don't think Charbonnet will be a first round pick. I think Charbonnet could be an NFL RB one for a few years, you know, just because like he's yeah. like, potentially like I'm not saying it's it's a lock, but like those are the two guys where I'm like, yeah, those are NFL running backs, and the other guys are more like spot duty guys. But it's a it's just a damn good running back room, and I, my hope is that you'll see them getting some some holes, and that the, I and I also think that like the QB being a running threat and hopefully not being a total fuck up will <laughs> open up some stuff <laughs> for the for the running backs. Yeah, um, I feel like and. And, you know, now that we're kind of getting into the overview section, like, you know, we, we were really rosy about all these, all these uh, you know, position groups. And I, I don't think there is a true, you know, like, like weakness, like, like black hole. There, there is no defensive tackle or cornerback position of this, of this um, offense. You know, I don't think there's a black hole um, or anything that's really going to, like, drag down the team single-handedly. But, you know, like, we were really rosy on every single, um, every single position group. And I think part of that reason is, like, we liked a lot of what we saw last year, and I and you can you know I'll kind of throw it over to you for this, but I think Shea Patterson limited this offense in a huge way. I mean, this is a team that almost opened up a huge lead on, on Alabama, right? And the reason they didn't is because Shea Patterson couldn't hit wide open receivers down the field, and like 
I'll say this for John Milton. Do I think that, like, that early ball, for instance, where, like, Shea just couldn't get it to, like, a wide-open Nico Collins for an easy touchdown, do I think John Milton has a better chance of making that throw? Absolutely. And John Milton might also have thrown it to Bama's, you know, elite defensive backs more. But, like, it's – it's right. you look at yeah. stuff like that, like, that Bama game, if you, all else being equal and replace Shea Patterson with a good quarterback, like, that – Michigan might have beaten Bama. Um Ohio State was a little bit different because they had our way. They had their way with our defense for the second straight year. But like, if we're talking offense here, I think the reason I'm rosy is Michigan is finally doing the things personnel-wise that you need to get to the next level, which is that they have speed, folks. I mean, they've got one of the fastest groups of skill guys in the country, anywhere. I mean, any conference. Um, they're in terms of just raw speed, they can stack up with Bama and OSU. In terms of like depth of like you know amazing you know Devonte Smith, Jerry Judy guys, I don't know if they have that relative to you know Bama or OSU, but like this is a very very high upside skill group. We know Joe Milton is high upside. We also know like to go back, the offensive line will probably be a step down, but like that is just a strength of the program. And and so the key thing is, I don't think this is Michigan's year to like break through and go to the CFP. The reason you know if it did happen, it would happen simply because they're finally recruiting in a way. And, you know, bringing guys into the field in a way where it's like you could actually see it happening if, if the stars aligned because the talent is there. We believe that Gaddis is going to utilize it. And this is, this is crucial. Like if, if this team fails to utilize its explosiveness and if they try to play conservative and they try to have like, uh, you know, if you try to have like Giles Jackson play like, you know, Grant Perry or whatever, like, yeah, they're going to that's that's a that's a problem. But if you use what right. you have, and and Milton is not throwing the ball away a ton, um, I think this is a, this is a, a group that could do some really impressive things. And I also think that one reason we're rosy is because next year, th- I mean, next year could be could be the Michigan offense that's been promised. Uh, that's that's I think very much on the table here. Yeah, and you know, I think it's 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 worthwhile to talk briefly about. Um about why I guess we didn't necessarily get the offense that was promised last year. You know, I think, um, you know, everyone came and like, oh, this is speed and space, speed and space. They're going to open it up. And it's like, I think that that was the intention. I think that, like, I think, first of all, you know, Josh Gaddis absolutely struggled as a play caller to start the year. I don't think, I mean, would you disagree with that? Struggled to game plan and play call, absolutely. Yeah, he. I, I thought, you know, I think... The, I was I was at the uh, the Middle Tennessee State game in person, and you know I just I'm like this guy just seems like he doesn't quite know like it felt like he was just trying things out um you know a little bit, and uh, I wasn't I wasn't super impressed. And then you know the Army game was an offensive debacle where they just ran a thousand times, and who knows how much of that was due to the fact that you know Shea was hurt. Um, it Wisconsin obviously just a complete complete debacle. You know, and then they start to, and then, you know, it sort of looks almost like against Illinois, I think, which is the next game or whatever. Um, it starts, well, they played, it doesn't matter. Illinois, whatever, like, and Rutgers, I guess. It starts to look like, hey, maybe, like, Harbaugh's taking over this offense because they're just running the ball and running the ball really well. Um, and so, like, you're kind of like, ah, shit, like, Harbaugh's taking the reins back. Like, it's, it's going better than it was early season, but, like, this is not going to work against Ohio State. Um... And then, you know, like, they start to open things up more against against Penn State, have their best offensive game of the year, come up just short against a good team on the road. Um, and, uh, you know, that sort of starts the trend of, like, good offense, you know, 
Um, and, and then it starts to look basically like you want it to against, against Michigan State and against Indiana, both of whom had good defenses last year. Tons of bubble screens, tons of throwing it to the flat, um, you know, just like, like the true speed and space type stuff. Um, and incorporating some, you know, downfield shots. And, uh, you know, so, like, I think, like, towards the end of the year, they started to figure it out. Um, and then when it came up short, it came up short because Shea Patterson was not up to the challenge, um, it both, you know, from a pulling in the run game perspective and from a uh, just, like, bailing from clean pockets, not being accurate, all that stuff. Like, he just sort of broke down, especially at the end of the year, yeah. was, was really rough. He just never, I mean, um, he could never make, in his whole career, he could never really make tough throws against elite competition. And if you're Michigan and you have less talent than Ohio State, you're going to need a guy who can, yeah, drop that 40-yard dime, you know, over the back shoulder of Nico Collins, uh, or you're just not really going to have a chance. Yeah, I mean, and, that, and that's modern football. It's interceptions and touchdowns. I mean, it, and, like, I'd rather have a guy that, Shea Patterson, you know, almost famously, um, you know, did, did not throw interceptions because he was so risk-averse. And I would rather him throw more interceptions over the middle than, like, just be this, you know, super safe quarterback. And, you know, I'm sure I'll regret saying that when Joe Milton throws, you know, three interceptions against Minnesota, as we keep saying. Um, but, you know, I don't – I think that's how you play modern quarterback. Yeah, and I um, think, like, it, you know, if Michigan loses to Ohio State this year – because they're trying to take downfield shots from Roman Wilson and, you know, whichever, like, nightmarishly good Ohio State defensive back, you know, gets the ball. Um, I'll feel better than that than if Michigan loses because, uh, you know, Zach Charbonnet is not falling far enough forward uh, in their 1.5 possessions per quarter. You know, like, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> right, I'll take yeah. it because it's, it's building for the future. It's recognizing what needs to happen. Um, and... Yeah, I, I, I just – you have to feel good about this offense if you wanted Michigan to do what they could feasibly to, like, move into, you know, the, the modern era of college football and to try to have the upside to beat these teams that are better than them. Like, if that's what you want, that's probably what you're going to get is a sincere attempt to do that. I think the, the road will be rocky and there will be some serious, serious mistakes made by individual players, maybe by the coaches. Um It'll be an adventure. Yeah, and we shouldn't downplay that, right? And it's like you, like we say, like oh, there's going to be mistakes along the way. And I feel like a lot of times when fans say that, like they don't actually think about what that's going to feel like. Like Joe Milton is going to throw a pick in the red zone, and you're going to yell. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's gonna, it's gonna suck. Like the, these mistakes will suck, and they will. I mean, like more often than not, I mean, more likely than not, it will cost Michigan in a big game. I'm sure it will. But like you. It, that's the cost of like playing, you know, modern football. Um, and you know, I think I think it's gonna. There's also gonna be times where like it looks lights out. So, um, you know, I guess that's kind of our our, our recap. I, I think it's a pretty decent place to stop. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Um, I'm looking forward to doing more of these. And uh, yeah, please yell at us on Twitter if you think we're being too homerific, which I'm sure I am at least. But <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Please, um, all of my, you know, Spart Paul Fanson, um, all of the Michigan State beat writers <laughs> that I constantly get in, get in petty Twitter arguments with, please, please listen to this podcast and call me. Yeah, if, if Red um, Cedar, if Red Cedar message board gets a hold of this, please, and, and I, I hope oh, you do. Yeah. I hope you do. You come at me on Twitter. I'm not afraid of you. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we should. Uh, that that is the one thing we haven't talked about. And maybe we'll get more into it in like you know our our season. Um, updates but like 
you know, it's no secret. Like, I'm a Red Cedar message board aficionado. Um, I, I can't get enough of it. And, uh, you know, I, I hope, I hope that they start listening to this podcast. <laughs> and, uh, and call me out when I'm wrong. I'm sure Joe Milton's going to throw a pick and we're going to get an entire thread started about it. Um, but, you know, anyway, that's, I, yeah, I can't get enough of that. Play, so. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, that's our goal for the year is that, like, maybe 12 people will listen to this total, but at least one of them hopefully will be on Red Cedar Message Board. <laughs> yeah. One of them is, uh, is, is, is Spartan Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, <laughs> thanks, everyone. And with that. All right. All right. Thanks, Connor. Talk to thanks, you later. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Right,